listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real-life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Hey there, Rockstar SLPs. So today we're going to be talking with Kristen from Kiwi Speech, and she's going to help us out with how to get better buy-in with our older students. So if you are currently working with older students, you know, like fifth grade and up, and you are struggling to keep them motivated um, or even to build a relationship with them, we got you covered today because we are going to, you know, Kristen's going to share what she does to help with getting student buy-in and, and their practical strategies. So there are things that you can listen today and use tomorrow. So before we jump into that interview with Kristen, I want to let you guys know about some happenings that are going to be coming up in the month of June. I am hosting a live webinar, how to use sensory bins to cover your speech and language goals. Now, if you are needing some live clinical maintenance hours, or you want to know, like, you're like, I see all of these sensory bins floating around on Pinterest and social media, but I'm not really sure where to start or what is going to work best for me. If you want like support with how to use sensory bins, how to get started without stress, come sign up for the live webinar. It's a $9 ticket. You get one hour of clinical maintenance units for attending. Uh, you get an ultimate sensory bin guide with links and step-by-step uh, recommendations for getting your bin, your filler, your materials, all that stuff. And you get $15 worth of sensory bin materials so that you can get started with sensory bins right after the, after the webinar. Um, if you are not able to attend the live webinar on June 21st, you do get access to the replay for two weeks. So I will put a link in the show notes so that you can sign up, tell your SLP besties to sign up. Um, you know, you can watch this sensory bin webinar from the comfort of your own home. And it's a fun topic and something that's, you know, good for the summer months, right? So if you're looking for some engaging, practical, professional development this summer, the live sensory bin webinar is a perfect fit for you. Let's transition now to our interview with Kristen. I know you're going to get a lot from this. She shares a lot of great strategies and recommendations. They are all linked in the show notes. So if you are curious about, um, you know, a particular strategy, head to the show notes and look through those blog posts that, sh that, we, that I've posted and linked. All right, let's do this. Hey, Kristen, I'm so excited to have you come on the show. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to chat about the strategies you recommend for getting buy-in from older students because I have vivid memories working with my middle school and high school students and feeling like they're never going to like me again. <laughs> you were going to say you had vivid memories of being like a middle school student. <laughs> No. Well, I've always like loved, I loved, I also, I had a love hate relationship with middle school and high school because half my caseload loved me. The other half was like, I don't want to be here. 
and it was it was hard. I I like I like the five year old hugs and everyone wanting to come see me. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I I think just as a person, I I lean toward older older children. Um, I know, like with my own kids right now, I'm really. I feel like we're finally getting into the stage where I can really appreciate them as like functioning human beings. Um, but it is, it's hard. Like the, the good ones are awesome in middle school, right? When you get, when you do get that really good rapport, but until you get there, it, it can be really hard. Yes. So I definitely, there's always like a curve and then halfway through the year, you're like, oh, they kind of like me. Um, and there's no, there's no waving in the hallway if they see you. <laughs> They like want to pretend like they don't know you and you're like, yeah, I mean, Lisa, my, I had kids like that where they were like, oh gosh, is she going to say hi to me? (laughs) I could tell in their eyes. Um, All right. So before we jump into the five strategies that you use to get buy-in with your older students, for those SLPs that may not know you, I would love it if you could share just a little info about the setting you work in, um, you know, the ages you serve, any treatment areas you enjoy, anything you want. Just talk about your family, things you like to do when you're not an SLP. I don't think we talked about that. <laughs> part. Um, yeah, so I um, am Kristen Bowers and I run Kiwi Speech. Um, so I sell materials for uh, speech pathologists. And then on a professional level, I was working in private schools actually up until this last year and I just resigned. So I now see kids through private practice, um, all on, almost all on teletherapy. I'm about 80% teletherapy. Um, I see some through my own private practice and then I see some that I contract with cyber schools during the day, which means I have this massive age range. So all my cyber school kids are middle and high school. And then a lot of the kids I see privately around five or six. So I have this big gap. And I actually have almost no one these days between maybe first grade and sixth grade. I've got this big um, gap in there. But um, so I see all ages and yeah, mostly teletherapy. I've got two kids at home. They're five and seven. And we love to travel and um, yeah. Yeah. I think, didn't you go... I forget where I saw pictures on Instagram. You went somewhere. Yeah, we, um, we just got back from Mexico not that long ago. Um, nice. But we did, if you're you know thinking kid-friendly vacations, we did Curacao last year, and that was amazing and super affordable. So I would highly recommend that for families with kids. Is that a carousel? Is that a, um, what's it called? A cruise? Or is that no, we um, no, we flew there. It's right near Aruba, oh. so it's just off the coast of Venezuela. So it's part of the ABC Islands. So it's Aruba, Bonaire, and Curacao are all kind of linked together there. But um, really nice, not as overly traveled, and um, yeah, fun. I'm gonna have to check it out. Um, okay, so do you have a song or song lyric that reminds you of working with older students? So I didn't have one that reminded me so much of working with older students, but the Try Everything song by Shakira is a song we sort of talk about a lot because I do a lot of growth mindset with my older students. And we do talk a lot about how it's okay to make mistakes and how it's okay to keep working with things. And that will be actually my first strategy. But um, that song is just, I think it's perfect because it's not too childish for them. Um, And the lyrics are really 
easy to hear and we can kind of talk about all the things um, that she talks about in the song that really fit in with what we're talking about in therapy. I'm going to have to go listen to that song because I don't know if I know it. I might know it. Utopia. You definitely know. Oh, okay. Then I know it. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking, (laughs) I don't know who sings this song. Hit me with your best shot. (laughs) Yes, that's a good one. (laughs) Because it's like, I could take it because they'll be honest with you, man. If they're bored, you're like, oh, I did a lot of work on that. uh, (laughs) (laughs) You're like, yeah, don't know who made this. Really boring. (laughs) Sorry. Um, okay, so let's jump in. So first off, when it comes to working with older students, what are some roadblocks you have faced or what are some common things SLPs who work with older students kind of grunt about after a session? Like they're like grumbling, like, uh, this always happens in my sessions or frustrations that you, you hear from other SLPs working with older students. Like what do you see them facing on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, for me, one of the biggest issues was the logistics of once they move to middle school, their classes are different. It's so difficult to get them. But then that's sort of also related to the fact that, you know, their academics are becoming, there's less, I'm not going to call it free time because everything's important, but, you know, there's less of that flex time throughout the day. And when they're in those young, when they're in the self, when they're in second grade and they have one teacher, it's easy for the teacher to say, okay, if you take them during this time, I can circle back to that later or make up for that. But once they're in middle school and they're jumping around, I mean, if they miss half an hour from that teacher, I mean, that's, that may be the only half an hour they have. And then I think that kind of leads to their, they don't like being pulled out of class. It's a little bit more obvious. I think when they're still being pulled out of class at that, at that age, it's less common, right? In kindergarten, people are getting pulled out for everything all the time. Um, and then I think there's also a little bit of frustration over lack of improvement. Maybe they, you know, they've been doing this a while and it doesn't feel like it's working and add that to the fact that so many of the materials we have are really not geared toward older students. So, you know, they're here, they don't know if it's effective, they're being pulled out of class and now they have to stare at <laughs> something they know wasn't designed for them. So I get it. Um, I think all those are super real challenges, both for the child and for the SLP. Totally. I agree. Um, I remember even like getting pulled out of art class is if they get pulled out and they have a project due, then they can't, you know, it's like they have to figure out how to finish it. I had some kids at the time, I think I was allowed to take out of PE. I know like some districts won't allow that, but then even that, like, kids I made a kid cry because I pulled them out at PE and they're and I had to go get them because they didn't know who I was yet but normally I was going to just be like come to me yeah anyway I made them cry because I had to go in there I didn't say who I was but I you know it was embarrassing you know it was a big transition for them yeah um so I've definitely had that happen to me as well Mm -hmm. so um I know that when I have some tools or strategies when I'm hitting roadblocks, I feel more empowered as a clinician to, you know, take action in the therapy session. So I would love if you shared some of your strategies, like maybe two, and then we can talk about it. Um, but some of the, your strategies that you use to work with older students, and then we can do the like last three strategies and talk about it too. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> um, yeah, so I kind of mentioned the first one is is growth mindset. You have, you yourself as the clinician have got to have a growth mindset. 
you know, these are not kids that just showed up in your room this year for the most part, right? And I I see Pulse a lot in a lot of the Facebook groups, but they can, I promise you, they can improve. Um, and for the most part, I as I speak, I'll probably be referring largely to articulation, but all of this applies to everything. But, you know, they really can, you have to have faith that they can improve. And I also work a lot on growth mindset directly with the students. So not just using it in the way I speak and the way I encourage them to speak, but teaching them about it directly, teaching that someone with a fixed mindset doesn't believe they can change, teaching them someone that someone with a growth mindset does believe they can change, knows it will be difficult, and isn't afraid of making mistakes and all that kind of thing. Um, we talk a lot about making mistakes. We talk a lot about um, doing things over and over. Um, and we actually spend time directly teaching them there was actually an article, which I'm sure you'll link in the show notes. Um, I think it came out last year, Abendroth and Whited. But they talked about these three pillars of working with adolescents as being kind of essential to ther- therapy and not just working on the goal directly, but working on their three pillars were motivation, rapport, and resilience. And resilience was largely... I'm not going to say the same as growth mindset, but a lot of what they were talking about were similar types of um, strategies. So they talked about famous failures like Michael Jackson or Michael, gosh, Michael Jordan. (laughs) Speaking of famous failures, Michael Jordan or Albert Einstein and how many times they failed, you know, at something before succeeding at it. So really taking the time out of your session to, to work on those skills, because without a growth mindset, honestly, it's going to be pretty difficult for them to make any progress. Yeah, I love that. I, you'll have to tell me the article after this interview, and I will put that in the show notes because I think it's good for us to refresh our memories of those three pillars because it's easy for us to get unmotivated when your client's feeling unmotivated yeah. too. And then I love the whole resilience piece because I think even on social media, you know, we all see it, these you know, people showing up like, look, it's so easy. Just reorganize your room or do this or that, or look at me, make this basket. Um, I follow some guy, I can't remember his name, but he can like, he's like a juggler and he can also make shots. It's like, we, it looks so easy, but they probably have spent months and months and months practicing the same thing to make that money shot so that we're all wowed, you know? Absolutely. I think for a while, I don't know if you remember on my Instagram, I was showing a lot of hand lettering. It was just kind of a hobby I took up, but people would always say, oh my gosh, I wish I could write like that. I I really did love saying, you know what though? I literally bought a book and bought some pens and practiced this every day. I've never done this in the past. Like it's not something I'm inherently good at. Don't get me wrong. I'm sure some people pick up skills like that better than others. Um, I'm not going to make, you know, this isn't like a toxic positivity. You can do it too kind of thing. But at the end of the day, I practiced it every day. Yeah. Even when it wasn't like super fun. Even when it looked awful. Probably. Or when it was hard. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that resilience piece, especially because, yeah, I could, I definitely feel the effects of going on social media and then thinking like, wow, I'm never going to get there. Um, and so I think that our the younger culture is faced with that a lot as well because everything is just instantly it looks makes it look like it's so easy. 
but we forget that it takes time. Absolutely. So Especially love- if we're working with kids that maybe have a learning disability or have other stuff going on. I mean, in particular for them, it's super important to, to focus on that. So yeah, that's awesome. So growth mindset is your first tip. And then I, did you share your second tip yet? No. I your strategy. Know. Okay. Let's hear that. Um, so, well, I, you know, we should group my second and third together. So my second okay. one is to use distractions. And, you know, I think by this point, these kids have done the drill, right? And if the drill was working, they would be done by now, but it's not. And so many of my middle school kids, again, I am kind of thinking of this from an articulation standpoint, they are hundred percent in drill and 0% outside of that. Um, So using activities where they're distracted by some other task, right? Where they're playing a game, where they're having a conversation, where they're doing something that's of interest to them, that's pulling their brain power a little bit away from their speech production, because they will never be able to generalize. They will never be able to self-monitor. They'll never be able to use it in the classroom if they cannot produce those sounds under some degree of distraction, because reading a word list or looking at pictures, or saying sentences under your very amazing and controlled environment in your room is not real life for them. So making that jump over to me, you've got to find some ways to distract them, which leads me to number three, which is to use puzzles. So I love to use brain teasers with them. If you've ever done logic problems, those ones that have grids and they have to decide kind of who did what, um, or any sort of kind of brain teaser problem. I love it distracts them. I think it is age appropriate for them. They don't feel like they're working with little kid materials. Circling back to the growth mindset, they, kids like to be challenged, right? They, they don't want to take time out of their really important science class to come to you and do something that feels worthless, that feels like it's not mattering, that feels like it's not hard. And as much as hard things are hard, I mean, we all know that hard things work. And so when they're just kind of coming, showing up every day and going through the motions, that doesn't feel good for anyone. So finding, like I said, I love brain teasers. I have like logic problems and cryptograms and secret code word puzzles, all sorts of things like that they really love. Um, where do you find your puzzles or what, like, where do you find these brain teasers? So I actually create them because I make them all sound loaded. Um, so I have, I have like logic problems that are all initial R sounds or that kind of thing. Um, they're all in my teacher's pay teacher store, but you know, I get lots of reps. I usually, when we start, I have them read the story. We go over each of the people's names. We go over whatever the other loaded sounds in there. So we still get lots of reps. I pause them throughout. We kind of reiterate what we've learned so far in our puzzle. And this is just more practice, but they really enjoy being given a task that airs on that kind of difficult side for them and challenges them. And they ask for more and they look forward to coming to solve the next problem or the next puzzle. Cool. I will link to those puzzle resources in the show notes. Um, But just to recap, I really like the reminder of the strategy to distract your students. And even though you mentioned it as an like a speech sound example, you definitely could still do this with language and pragmatics because sometimes there's a lot of pressure just coming in the room knowing that we're going to be like critiquing them and tell, you know, giving them feedback and they have to answer. But if you 100%. do something in a more 
naturalistic way, you're distracting them from this like work concept. And so it's like, for example, if you're doing language therapy, you could do a STEM or science project, um, you know, something that you would think is a little bit outside the box. It's a little bit outside of our comfort zone because we feel like we have to take data on, you know, trial by trial, you know, all that stuff. But those things can be really powerful for getting participation in practice. Oh, absolutely. And and for language too. I mean, when they walk in their room, setting the stage, so they don't really know you're doing therapy in that beginning part, but it's a great time to probe how they're using their language skills if we're talking about, you know, like verbs or syntax, that kind of thing. I mean, having that casual conversation before you dive into what they can easily recognize as the therapy session is, <laughs> is really helpful. Yeah, totally. I love that strategy. And then the puzzles, I got to get the links to those because those sound really, um, and it ha- probably helps create structure to your session too. Cause then you're just like the kids know what to expect, but you're able to switch out the puzzles each week. Mm-hmm. So it feels like a new thing, but it really isn't that new. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it's great for mixed groups because there is this natural kind of downtime where they can work on it while I'm working with someone else without kind of having them pause and sit there and wait, that kind of thing. Yeah, I love it. All right. So strategies four and five. All right. Strategy four is to get them reading. I often have them bring books and I photocopy the pages because I love to have them pre-highlight the words that have their sound. So, you know, this kind of fits into maybe a short-term objective toward that goal of having them read while accurately using their sounds. I may have a goal where they read a pre-highlighted passage while accurately using their sounds. And that act of them going through and highlighting gives me a lot of information. Um, I've had kids go through and highlight passages looking for their sounds before, and they've caught like 50%. (laughs) And if they're reading this and seeing... For, for example, the letter R, and they're still only catching 50% of it. I mean, that tells me a lot about probably how they're monitoring when they're speaking. It's also a great opportunity for sounds like sh or the S sound to teach them how that letter and the sound don't always link up, right? So they often mix, or I'm just thinking of the word mix. They often miss S's in a word like mix because they don't see an S. So I really start to teach them they need to sort of say these words out loud in their mind. And again, we're thinking about the sounds, not just the letters, which I suppose is counterintuitive considering we're talking about a reading task. But again, if they are struggling to even find their sounds in a passage, it's going to be really difficult for them to monitor as they're reading out loud in class, for example. So do you have them bring a book that they're using in class or could it be any book that they want? Ideally, it's something they're reading in class. Um, you know, it depends so much on schools. Some schools, kids, I found, you know, always have this running book that they're working on. Others, less so. I really honestly leave it up to them. Sometimes they have a book for pleasure. They um, pull out of their locker. So what, whatever it is, if you're able to coordinate with teachers, of course, that's always a bonus. But that doesn't always play out like we want it to. Yeah, that's and you can totally use whatever they're reading to cover lots of goals. Yeah. Um, so that's great strategy. So what's number five? Number five. In a way, I wondered if this should be number one, but number five is to really get picky about their R. Um, 
And again, I know this is this is kind of focusing on the R and the articulation, but I do love working with R. Um, you know, again, at this point, we there are some of those R's that are pretty good, but they're just not quite there. But I often find that they are specific vocalic R's. Uh, so really doing a deep probe through all the R sounds and finding where the trouble is. So as an example, I have a high schooler right now I work with privately, and she is really struggling with her BR blends. But I could be wasting a lot of time if I was working on all the R blends. Um, I, I'm trying to think. This is, I, there, I feel like there's more than six. But, you know, if, there, if there's... Mm-hmm six R blends and there's really only one she's struggling with. I mean, that means five out of every six productions I have her do are are not really helping her. So really getting picky about what you're targeting and then also getting picky about how they're producing it. Even though they've been working at this a long time, it is still okay to be working at that kind of low level isolation, syllable level articulation to get a proper production. Yeah, I totally agree. And I've had that happen too, where you're, and I think when you get the older kids, you're like, okay, you've been in speech for, since kindergarten. And now we got to look at this with a new fresh lens. So getting the baselines or the probes is really, really, it is beneficial. It takes extra time, but then it really can help you zero in with younger kids. I feel like that can be harder to do because when you do your assessment, there's like, there could be three or four areas where you're like, right. Oh my gosh, <laughs> we got it. We got a lot of work to do and it's harder to get picky on what to do with the younger friends. And that's one of the things I did like about middle school. It was a lot clearer. Yeah. A lot clearer path. Yes. I mean, language I found in a way it branched out because it, they had to be good at so many skills by middle school. But I, especially with articulation where we're usually down to one or two sounds, um, or goals had been pretty well established or areas of need. If we're talking about language, you know, there were often these glaring smaller areas that we had isolated over the years compared to kindergarten where you're just like, oh my gosh, you know, he's really having a hard time in class with everything. Right. So uh, yeah, that's a great strategy to remember, like get picky, take some time to figure out what you need to specifically work on so you can maximize those sessions so that you can show your kids the growth they're going to make because it'll go quicker, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Okay, so to recap, we have teach growth mindset directly. Um, Strategy number two is use distraction incorporate brain teasers and puzzles and just, you know, things that will provide a challenge for your students. Number four, get kids reading. And number five, get picky about what you are targeting. So those are the five strategies that Kristen shared. I would try to pick at least one that you want to start using in your therapy session and then build from there. So if there was one strategy that you would recommend an SLP to use tomorrow, what would you, what would you recommend? Growth mindset, hands down. I feel like you could use all those other strategies, but if that child really just thinks this is a waste of time and doesn't think they're going to improve because they haven't improved already, there's not a lot you can do. Totally. 
Do you have any resources or blog posts on growth mindset? I so if do. someone wants to I have multiple <laughs> blog posts. Um, and I actually have a growth mindset curriculum that's designed specifically for speech. So oh, it runs okay. them through exercises where they might identify like growth and fixed mindset phrases. But again, they're all speech and language focus. So uh, it might be something someone would say in speech and saying, oh, is this a growth mindset, fixed mindset? So I will make sure you get those links. Sure. And then do you just like when you're implementing growth mindset, do you kind of structure your session where you're like, okay, five minutes, we're going to do a growth mindset exercise. And then you jump into therapy or do you do it the whole session? It kind of depends. I mean, sometimes I work on their articulation sounds in, you know, in the, through the task. So that might be our, our, the growth mindset task might be the task of the day. And then I incorporate speech into that. Um, so it obviously depends on what level they're at with their goals. Also depends on what level they're at with their growth mindset. I mean, I have had some kids that I really felt like taking an entire session, completely forgetting about the speech and language goals on that day and, and working on that growth mindset was a valuable use of my time. Um, so yeah, I definitely, that's absolutely kind of on a case by case basis. And, um, and plus everyone's schools kind of run so differently, but, um, at a minimum, I would open the session with something. The curriculum I created has sort of a, a script that the SLP would say and a little lesson they run through. And then there's usually kind of a worksheet to go with it, but you could always do it without the worksheet or you could always do just the worksheet, you know? Yeah, no, that was, I just wanted to hear how you do it. But so that makes sense to do it case by case and then yeah. feel it as a clinician, like, you know what, I need to invest right now in this concept so that we can have more successful Absolutely. sessions in the future. So yeah, I definitely want the link to that because I'm sure people will want to check that out and possibly purchase it for their caseload. So, all right. So thank you, Kristen. This was so helpful. Um, I feel empowered and I haven't worked with older <laughs> in a long time. Um, you should go but, <laughs> but yeah, so it was super helpful. Um, yeah. If you want to follow Kristen, she's at Kiwi speech, right? On Instagram. Yeah. yeah. And then all the, um, the blog posts and resources mentioned in this episode will be in the show notes. So definitely go to the show notes and click whatever you're interested in checking out. And so this was really, really helpful. Thanks again, Kristen. Thanks for and yeah. Um, and so just a reminder, everyone, as always be the SLP that every kid wants to see. Don't forget to stay inspired and we will chat next week.